0: In the last episode, I spoke with composer Matt Vinson and lyricist Mattie O'Brien about their new musical, Anne of Green Gables. It was the first time I've spoken with a musical writing team, and so for the two of them, I thought I would bring back a bonus episode I haven't done in a while, The Final Five. After that main interview, they answered five final questions about what making it means to them lessons they've learned as both individuals and as a writing team, as well as useful advice that has helped them creatively and personally. They also talk more about the writing process and how the two of them work together to create musical theater. To get more final five bonus episodes with previous guests, become a supporter of this podcast by going to whyillnevermakeit.com and click subscribe. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It.
1: I think that the composer, because you're living with the material for so long, when it finally gets put on the stage, at times, a lot of the opinions that come up in the feedback and well-intentioned notes don't always appreciate that time spent.
0: All right, so here we are at the final five questions. And number one, what job in the arts do you feel is the most undervalued, and why do you think so? Well, I'll just speak for the team music. I think right now the
1: the um, music assistant, just because we, we actually have um, an assistant on uh, this production, uh, Mason Frazier. And he's amazing, and he's doing all of the things. He's taking band equipment from one building to the other. He's actually keeping all of the, any of the, ch- the changes we're making in the piano vocal score. He's updating and he's having a separate collaboration with our orchestration team. He's sort of the glue that holds that together. So we do appreciate him. Um, so definitely the
2: unsung hero of this process. That was very generous of Matt. I'm going to speak for the writers, <laughs> for the book writers out there. I think one of the hardest jobs ever is, is writing the book to a musical. Maybe that's just because that's what I do and I think it's really hard. But I think that there's more of a mystery if you don't play an instrument and stuff about c- composition and how that comes together. And there's more of, a, you know, directing is sort of a ephemeral art and, you know, choreography. There's, there's some things that like people just don't think, oh, I don't do that. Everyone thinks they can write. I've written an email. I've written, uh, you know, I've written a blog post. I uh, once wrote for my school newspaper, and, and all of those things. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything about those being bad. But everyone feels like, oh, well, if you just cut this line, or if you just add this line, or if you do this, or you do that, that that'll be that'll sort of thing in a book to a musical is out of anything it's so delicate and it's so about rhythm and heartbeat and getting in and out of songs correctly and it's so technical it's uh, it's not a joy to write a lot of the times it's much more about oh you need to give three more lines here in order to launch this song correctly and the right rhythm and right and and not make it feel shoehorned in it's a real like it's quite a process so i'm taking it book writer (laughs) Would you say that that is the biggest difference between writing a play and writing a musical is that launch pad into the songs yeah you it's so frustrating because you you create all these dramatic all this dramatic tension in the book and then Matt comes in and writes gets to write like the the, the, the climax of it all and so you're all I'm doing is like the book writer is just like you know keeping the heartbeat going until he writes the next like big impact moment <laughs> and there, and if and if uh, you know, a musical, I think it's Harvey Firestein that says that if uh, a musical is a hit, no one mentions the book. But if it's a flop, everyone blames the book. It, it's, it's, it's just it's that that's always how it is. And that's there's it's the truest thing I've ever heard.
0: There is this concept that a musical can be a big hit if the songs are great, but the books blah. Totally. But I've I've been in those musicals where the book was stellar, but the music was kind of, eh,
2: and it just didn't go anywhere. No, you need that. Well, you come from, from it's called a musical for a reason. You're coming for the music. You know, I, I remember Matt and I actually going to see Stephen Sondheim speak at Avery Fisher Hall. And I remember one of the first things he said was how his book writers were really his saving grace in those things. And I think that's it, it's really true and i find myself going to see shows that i think you know have great scores and stuff like that but i think that the, the books to a lot of musicals have become much more influenced by television and stuff which is not their fault but i think it's it's just like an aesthetic thing and we have such short attention spans and stuff so that stuff kind of drives me crazy and that's i think one of the things that when matt and i actually started writing this that i was like i wanted. Really have this book operate the way that I want this book to operate, and we've luckily been able to hold on to it. I think.
1: Well, and Maddie's uh, book writing is very musical in itself. There's a heartbeat to it, and one of the things that we're listening to in the the house every day is is what is the rhythm of the audience to that. There actually are moments when you know there actually is applause for the book, and and those applause moments actually function in the same way they function at the end of a song. You know, and so we were actually we were talking about one particular song. We're like, hmm, should it have a button or not? They don't, they don't seem to want to clap there, but they want to clap a minute later for the, the part in the book that just resonates. So it's all really part of the same journey that the audience is on. So I think it should be received the same way. For
0: totally. Well, number two, what does success or making it mean to both of you? And how has that uh, or has it not manifested in your own careers? For me,
1: two things. I think the success, first of all, is being able to have your work produced and reflected, and and creating a thing. And especially when in in this in this art form, you can write for years and write songs. And when you're cutting a song, the song doesn't go away. But what you're really writing it for is it to be on stage. So that's success on one hand. On a practical level, I've had a a job for the last number of years um, in a sort of a corporate position, and I'm actually doing this remotely even during this process. And I would just like to be able to have this support me and be able to have it be my full-time job so to me success will be the day that i can say okay you know what i really am a composer and that's all i do so whatever level that is that that would be success for me
2: i grew up doing theater and i never did theater because i thought i was going to make a ton of money doing theater i had a very practical like uh, sense of that because i grew up with ac- working actors that were full-time equity professional regional theater actors that were wonderful and amazing influences so i had that kind of in check of like oh it's uh, this like starry-eyed kind of thing i think success would be able to just like afford to write consistently and do the projects that i want to do and not do the projects i don't want to do and uh that's very exciting to me and then honestly I always think to myself um oh, I can't do this it's it's so exhausting I can't do it anymore I can't I can why, why am I doing musical theater whatever and then there's like a moment and you'll hear Juliet do a song and as Anne or you'll have a moment where a laugh works finally for the first time and those little successes are not equal to paying my bills but there are it's not to sound corny but that's the payoff of a laugh is a payoff of seven years of work. So I am trying in this process, and Matt and I have both been trying to enjoy those successes because who knows what tomorrow is. But I know that tonight I got to hear lonely bring the house down. And that is I need I need to hold on to that because that's that's the fuel for the seven years.
0: Well, number three, what is it that frustrates you most about the business that has changed since you started? I think that the
1: composer, because you're living with the material for so long, when it finally gets put on the stage, at times a lot of the opinions that come up and the feedback and well-intentioned notes don't always appreciate that time spent. And so part of the the days when I'm when I when I think I'm most I wouldn't say frustrated, but I'm just disappointed, is when there's not that same grace always given in sort of appreciation of the the investment of time and and the emotional investment of of that and um that we're vulnerable as writers as well as, as as everybody in the process those are the days that i'd like to find a way to fix that and be part of the solution for that and would like for others to to hear that
2: mine would be i think it's gotten worse definitely in our lifetime when i moved to new york you could afford to put something up off broadway and uh, you know it might be a slight production but you could do that but now you know so many of those houses are even uh, completely unaffordable and the rehearsal spaces are Leaving, And I mean, for Matt and I, what people forget in that seven years, we don't have investors. We don't have this is largely coming out of our pockets. And, And I think that, you know, even when we do a 29 hour reading, we're physically paying every single actor that's there, every single person that's working on that. And that's really hard. And then those readings are under rehearsed and evaluated as if they were people expect them to land every joke and land every song and have it operate. And I think that's really, really frustrating. And if I could advocate for anything, and Goodspeed even has one, they have these writers groups and these writers colonies, which are amazing. And Finger Lakes had the uh, they have oh, a, the, the pitch. The pitch. They have the pitch of the Finger Lakes. And there's all these these wonderful opportunities. But musicals, they need time to be rehearsed, and they need time to be put up in a realized form. And that doesn't mean... Huge sets and huge costumes and huge lighting. It doesn't mean all of that. But I think uh, when you're caged into these like 29 hour readings and that's all you can do, that's all you can afford to do. And we're getting to good speed right now. And we're just getting to the place where people are like, oh, yeah, we want to take this meeting. We want to take that meeting and all of that stuff. And that's really frustrating. And I think in our time in New York, it has gotten worse to try and self-produce and make any real headway. Unless, I hate to say it, unless you're independently wealthy or you are able to have access to funds that I think most writers do not. Uh, so I would love to see places rally a bit more and find a way to support writers in the creation of work. That also doesn't force us into precarious financial situations, which it definitely the way the business works nowadays, it really has put a huge strain on writers financially.
0: Well, I mean, one of the wonderful things about theater is that it can take these chances. It can explore a story in a different way. It can present people and situations that we might not see in normal, you know, a way to put ourselves in another person's shoes. And so, so much of that is are these little moments or or small stories that aren't that don't need a big star that don't need a huge production and it can be hard to see it the without them
2: the first show we wrote together was a six-person musical and we wrote that very specifically with those constraints because we were we didn't know how to get you know we couldn't write in them because we had not built enough of a, a resume for ourselves and people probably wouldn't have taken a chance on us at that point but even that six-person musical in order to put that off Broadway with the help of a lot of people, a lot of generous people helping us, I mean, it was like a forty thousand some odd dollar investment, and that's small. I know in like the grand scheme of theater producing, but for us to try and do that, that was, I mean, it was it was massive, massive, massive sacrifices. Family and friends really helping out, and um, yeah, in the musical work, I love that musical. I hope that musical finds another life, you know, um, but. If I was going to say anything that uh, has gotten worse in New York, definitely in that that time period, the logistics and the financial side of of how to create this stuff.
0: So number four, describe a, a personal lesson that took you a while to learn or maybe one that you're still working on to this day.
1: I actually am really proud of how we've learned and I've personally learned to incorporate choices from the actors and from musicians and have that be part of my process. I think when we started out for me music was all in my head and the process was if you're not doing it like it's in my head then you're not doing it doing it right and that wasn't the right approach and it's taken a number of years for me to not only intend to not do that but also to do that in a healthier productive way so that's Probably why I keep coming back to that as one of the parts of the process that I value the most because that's the one that I've had to take the most time to really learn and embrace.
2: For me, I think I'm in still grappling with it, learning to sort of appreciate and live in the moment and not be overrun by anxiety and um, perfectionism and uh, only seeing the faults in, in things because you're, you're just in the weeds for so long with it that uh, even just a couple of days ago, I had friends up and they thought the show was absolutely you know, out of this world and, and people that I very much trust their opinions. And I saw the same performance and I'm thinking, oh, I've got to fix this or I've got to fix that. And, and, and that's really important that, you, that I can do that. But I also, it's been a struggle to learn how to be able to analytically write down the note and say, that's not perfect and we'll get that tomorrow. That doesn't make today's performance a failure or a, it's actually great. And that's a constant thing to practice. I think that's something
0: that actors go through as well because we have that that bad audition we have that 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 one <laughs> show that just wasn't what we wanted it to be you know we messed up your music or we, or we forgot some dialogue totally. whatever you know that we have those bad days you know so we're down ourselves but then as soon as someone our friend or we're talking and say oh what are you up to while well, i'm in the show i'm doing that you're doing what oh my gosh that's amazing that's a, and as soon as we describe what we do to other people that may not be in the business it gives us another way to look at like, oh, this is kind of cool what I'm doing. So yeah, it's, totally. perspective means everything. Perspective is everything. What would you say you have learned the most about your writing of this musical from the various actors who have been a part of the Finger Lakes as well as now here in Goodspeed? What have you learned most through
2: both of those processes? I think that what I've probably learned the most from the process is I think collaboration is always difficult, and it's always a challenge, and you're everyone's exposing themselves and every in order to work in this art form, you're sort of digging up your own stuff and you're combining with other stuff and things work and then they don't work and it can it can be exciting process it can also be a really draining process, traumatic process at times like there's just that's how it goes and I think that at least for me, one of the things that I'm most proud of in our time at Goodspeed is learning to be a better collaborator in the sense that I, I feel like I, both with actors and, and directors and producers and everything, being able to say, this is what I need. These are the boundaries that I need. This is what I need to do my best work. This is what I, I want to empower you to do your best work. So being able to take feedback from people and saying that you're overloading me or you're it, just having, being better at conversing with people. I, I said at the beginning of the process to Matt, we need to embrace that things are gonna we're gonna have to give people time and grace in this process we know it so well we can't be impatient we've got to like let people grow into this stuff and i think the finger lakes was a really fast production and everyone was sort of we hit that stage with i don't know it was what 12 days of rehearsal or it, Before tack, yeah. yeah it was yeah. really fast and this one's been nice because i do think we've been able to pace ourselves better and we've been able to communicate better with actors and directors and everyone and and have them communicate with us that i'm I'm, I'm overloaded. I'm, 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 I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling shaky and, and being able to say, that's not the end of the world. That's not something to panic about. How can we both move forward in a healthy way and get what we need from it?
1: Yeah. And I think we also, we have a broader support system for the Goodspeed production, just because we have the time, we have the resources, we have, uh, you know, even more directors and assistants and associates. And so the process for me has been, I think in the Finger Lakes, it was such a, you know, it was an urgent opportunity to have the show done. We we didn't know if we could have it produced. And so that first step was such an important thing. But I remember us having to go between rooms and I'd be behind the piano in certain rooms and Maddie would be, you know, catching up on another room and and just being able to turn over the process to the, the directing team this time and be able to sit back and receive that information from the actors that, you know, in the room every day, just just being a, in a different capacity has been so wonderful to me. And and then of course over the past um Week or so, being able to see it in front of an audience, and then every day, you know, there's there's small things that you can learn through that part of the process as well.
0: All right. Well, number five, what is the most useful advice that you've received, and how have you applied it to your own life or career? This is a very practical and recent piece of advice,
1: but one of our producers actually said that in writing a musical, one of the things that you'll have to learn is how you can receive all of the feedback and have the ability to keep yourself true to your vision to decide which parts of that feedback, even as true as they may be, should be actually implemented. And that's something that's a daily exercise at this point, because we have to make sure, and you have so many stories of of shows that take a wrong turn and and don't land as they maybe once did in a previous incarnation, because those decisions were not made in a thoughtful way. And so it's really just been about, in a genuine way, receiving the feedback, thinking through it methodically, but then to be able to have that compass to know what the right decision is. And so that's a daily piece of advice that I'm exercising.
2: I, I guess mine would be less specific about the theater, though I think it, it, it's something that I've really been trying to practice. <laughs> sounds so crazy. I, I think about like so in coffee and things like that and the things i can control in my daily routine because i do feel like in this sort of career there are so many things that are out of our control and and in life in general i don't want to make it out to just be theater but i struggle with like I can't control how someone's going to deliver a line or if they're going to get this right or that right. And I think I can't control how the show is going to be received. But what I have been really trying to do is like pick the right soap in the morning, something that I love the smell of and that I can control. You know, get there's no excuse to make a bad cup of coffee. Like you should always drink good coffee at home because like I can control those things. And it sounds so silly, but I know the second I walk out of my door and out of my living situation, and even when I was when we were negotiating with Goodspeed, I was really it was really important to me to have a certain living situation that I could control because I know that it's the second that I walk out of this situation, I can't control a lot of things. And for my own mental health, I need to like make the things in my life that I can control really enjoyable and wonderful and just practical things that sound so silly when I say it out loud. But. taking a shower with great smelling soap and having a great cup of coffee and eating the right like I I think that self-care thing is overused and stuff but I do think it really has the biggest impact on my day-to-day life because it allows space when I walk out of the door for things that I just have to you know kind of have deal with on the fly and that's been the most helpful for me well it's a matter of making your life the
0: one that you actually have your own Yes. Things that mm-hmm. you want, just the things that you do you know that you want to work on day to day, if that's the way that you want it, then that that's the only life that you can really
2: have for yourself, all the other stuff you can't do anything about totally absolutely and i and I think that the more that I've invested in in those little practical things that make my morning routine a little nicer by the time I arrive at the theater or where whatever I'm doing that day, I feel like I tend to hit the place in a better State of mind that I cannot be defensive or anxiety ridden, or, you know, and it really has made a a very big difference. I'm not always good at it. I know I don't always succeed, but it it does make a difference when I do. It's something we're all working on. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Work in progress. Well,
0: thank you so much for joining me. It's been a joy to uh, to share this time with both of you. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you again for joining Matt, Maddie, and myself for this bonus episode. Your support of this podcast is greatly needed and appreciated. Please go to whyillnevermakeit.com and click donate for a one-time donation or click subscribe to become a monthly supporter and get access to bonus episodes each week. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Why I'll Never Make It is a production of Win Me Media and is a part of the Helium Radio Network as well as a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it.